What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the River Blast Podcast. I am Noah Hiles. Alex Stumpf. And we are recording via remote. The The move has been made. I am in Ohio. Alex is fighting back tears. Uh, we're recording via Skype. I'm on the back porch in my mom's at my mom's rural house until I find an apartment out in Canton. Uh, and Alex is just chilling in his living room after finding... Uh, after debating for about seven different areas where he should record from today. Yes. Well, he, he, you're on the porch, and I thought to myself, well, I'll, I'll go out on the porch, except, you know, the Wi-Fi sucks out there. And then, there was, was there a place between the porch and the living room? Well, we had a big old debacle when we got started. First, it was, you know, I couldn't hear you, your headphones were plugged in, that wasn't working, and then... Uh, I mean, then you sat somewhere else, and then we couldn't record because somebody else was there, and then this and that, and we're finally going now. We're finally going now. Good. <laughs> All right, so before we get into the depressing stuff, I thought we could talk about what we did during the All-Star break. Uh, I'll let you start. You went out of the country, international vacation. How was it? Yeah, I went to Quebec City. It was fun. It was it was different. I've, I've only gone to, like, touristy uh, Canadian places or cities so far. So like Niagara Falls, and I went to Montreal once whenever the Pirates were uh, playing the Blue Jays in the Expos Stadium mm-hmm. for that spring. Uh, besides that, I haven't really been up there. It's it's clean. It's really clean. That's kind of the big takeaway I have from Canada. There's like no litter. The air is great quality. It's like oh well, back to Pittsburgh, I guess. Not to say we're dirty, but whenever you, <laughs> you notice things like that. I mean, you're, Pittsburgh's literally a city, city built off of, like, air pollution. Yes. Yes. And it has the, the steel background, and even oh. isn't graded that well. You, uh, you started to cut out there. It sounded like it was like a Skrillex song. Can you repeat what you said? No, it's not important. Oh. It was ramped. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, um, it sounds like you had a good trip, though? I did. I did. You had the more eventful one, though. I, I, yeah, I did. You know, uh, getting to cover the All-Star game. Um, I'll tell you what, that was a hell of a hell of a last day of work. I don't know if I'll ever have a better last day of work than that. Um, first things first, I got to give it to the city of Cleveland. I mean, they put on a hell of an event. Uh, the fans were awesome. The the surrounding area at Progressive Field was great. Um, very lively atmosphere. A lot of fun. It was clean. It was safe. Uh, a lot of places to park. It wasn't very expensive. Uh, it was fun. I mean, it was awesome. The Getting to watch the Futures game, going on the field, seeing like Omar Vizquel hit infield was like an all-time moment, not only in my career, but in my life. Um... The next day, getting to do the media availability, I mean, I spoke, you saw my Twitter, like, I spoke to, like, Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger, Jake DeGrom, uh, I don't know, Alex Bregman, spoke to former Pirates, Garrett Cole, and Austin Meadows, and, you know, of course, got to talk to JB and, and Vasquez as well, so that was cool, getting to be in person for the best home run derby of all time was cool, I mean, that that was a show between... Vlad and Jock Peterson that, I mean, that goes down alongside, you know, Dave Parker throwing guys out at home plate, um, Pete Rose running over Roy Fossey, 
Pedro Martinez striking out the side like in dominating fashion. I mean, those that's like all-star moments right there. It wasn't in the all-star game, but I mean, that's like the best home run derby moment of all time, maybe next to Josh Hamilton putting on that show in New York. I mean, those those two, I think, go hand-in-hand hand now. Um, so that was awesome, and then the All-Star game was awesome. Just getting to see it in person, the pageantry, everyone lining up on the foul line, the flyover, Josh Bell getting the first hit of the day, and it was like a, a dinker infield hit, but nonetheless, there were some home runs. 16 strikeouts combined by the American League, the hometown guy winning the MVP. It was an awesome experience, like I said, an awesome send-off for uh, my, days in, my days covering Major League Baseball but also kind of a nice intro to working in Ohio media. So, great overall experience. Wish you could have been there. Yeah, I wish I could, too. You got the best of both worlds. I actually slept through the All-Star game once I saw Josh Bell lost. And that was at, what, like 9.30 at night? Uh, I think so. I mean, yeah, like, it was It was kind of... It was, it was early, very early. I never fall asleep that early, but, you know, you walk around the city all day, you're wiped. And then I forgot I'm the oldest 20th, so after we in bed by 9 o'clock. Yeah, the old, oldest 20-whatever. You, How old are you again? 27. 27. Yeah, you're the oldest 27-year-old on earth. It, it kind of skipped out again, so I wonder. Reverse the age. I'm 72. Yeah, you pretty much are. But, I mean, it was, it was kind of confusing because Bell was the DH, so you're seeing every, like, every now and then, like, when, you know, when you – are paying attention to see if a guy's going to stay in for another inning. You see him in the field. You know, you'll see, oh, okay, well, they took the, they took Freddie Freeman out at first base. Oh, okay, well, you know, Grandall's behind the plate now. So he's not catching anymore. Whoever's not catching anymore. But, like, Bell being the DH, you're just waiting for his spot to come up in the order, and you're like, maybe they will let him hit. I don't know. Like, it just depends on who's left on the bench. What's the playing time schedule? I'm sure it's all mapped out. Maybe they will give him a third at bat. There's there were a lot of Pirates fans there, notably so, just because it's in Cleveland. It's not that far of a drive, so I wouldn't have been shocked if he did get a third at bat. But yeah, he he got taken out early, and for, Felipe didn't pitch at all, which was kind of wild, if you ask me. Well, I think he was the the closer for the game, wasn't he? Oh, uh, maybe. Since it wasn't Hater, it, it would be him or Yates, right? Yeah. I'll have to check my notes to see. I, Yates didn't pitch, I don't think. Okay. So. Well, then, who knows? Yeah. And, and then again, who cares? It doesn't really count for anything. But it was a cool experience, nonetheless. All right. So now let's get into the depressing stuff. It, they're back at it again. They, they stink again. Insert the soundbite. Oh, no, we suck again. I mean, this is... It's just, you know, there, there are so many references that I want to make. But I think, you know, this is, and this is kind of gross, but this is how I compare this team. The Pirates are like a, a perfectly functioning human who has one flaw, and that flaw is that they can just randomly crap them, their pants at any time. And, <laughs> and it's, I think it's the most accurate way to describe this team because they have everything they need to have a, have a successful, productive life and, you know, go on to do big things in the world. But at the end of the day, sometimes they just crap their pants and uh, it, just, it just doesn't end up well. And this is like the worst scenario where they could have crapped their pants. I mean, I, 
Like, what what would be, like, in your opinion, like, the worst place you could think of pooping yourself? Would be, like, a baptism uh, on a plane? Like, See, I'm just going the other way. Like a, like a funeral? Yeah. Uh, court hearing? Court hearing? I would actually understand that one. Um, have you ever pooped your pants as an adult? No. No. Never, like, gambled on a fart and lost either. I'm pitching a perfect game so far. Uh, I got a one-hitter. Um, mine, my, my one occurrence came actually, it was the night, the evening before opening day, uh, in 2017. My girlfriend was doing homework, like, on my bed. I was sitting on the couch, like, watching, like, another baseball game, and I gambled. And boy, did I lose. And I, like, popped up. It was my senior year of college. I, like, sprinted down the hallway of the house I was living in. And, like, my girlfriend, like, sprinted after me in the bathroom because she just wanted to, like, roast me the entire time. (laughs) Yeah, like, the fraternity house I lived in, we had, like, stall bathrooms in the third floor. So, like, she's, like, peeking over the stall, like, you pooped your pants, you pooped your pants. Like, it was a a tough night. But anyway, I don't know how we got to that story. I mean, I'm... Working in news now, I, I'm trying to revert from embarrassing things to put on the internet, but sure enough, I just said one of like the worst Hello, things I probably could have. Let me tell you the story about whenever I poop myself. Yeah, but anyway, um, a trusted the pirate. Yeah, the pirates are are pulling a Noah Hiles pre 2017 opening day. I mean, they're crapping themselves literally, literally at the worst time. This is when they needed to be the best. This is when they needed to be the best, and uh, to be honest, they haven't shown any sign of it. They have not shown any sign of being the team that they were before the All-Star break. Uh, you, you saw a flash of it, I guess, in the first game when Marte hit that three-run homer, and you're like, okay, wow, they can come back. But then Kyle Crick, who is just you know, following suit and the bullpen's trend of just being disappointing, it's just... Tough way to start the second half of the year. I don't know how you can get excited about this team when it looks like they're well on their way to have like their third five-plus game losing streak. Yeah, I mean, this. the thing is, we took that week off in between, and if we didn't, we would be talking about, like, oh, my God, they're back. They're back. They're, they're two and a half games out. This yeah. is the most bipolar baseball team over these last two years that – I have ever really seen, they are so unbelievably streaky that whenever everything's going right, or it's either everything's going right, and Michael Feliz and Chris Stratton are throwing four scoreless innings in a game, and... Uh, Adam Frazier's winning player of the week. Adam Frazier gets, you know, the spirit of Rogers Hornsby put back into his body. He becomes the vessel for him. And then nothing. And then everything goes wrong. And the only game this entire series where, or since they came back, where they've put up a fight was really not even a whole game. It was just one in that opening game yeah. where they completely squandered six of the most brilliant innings Chris Archer has ever pitched in the major leagues, let alone as a pirate. Like, for six innings, he looked fantastic, and then... He couldn't get the job done, and then the three-two count turns into a walk. Crick loses two counts, both walk. 
it's it's single pitches. If either if any one of those three three two counts turns out to be strike three or an out, the Pirates win that game. But no, all three turned into balls, and that's just kind of how Pirates baseball goes. The the margin of error is so slim, and things snowball out of control whenever things go wrong. Yeah, I mean. It's just, yeah, it's just it's just frustrating. I mean, Jordan Lyles has just become a punching bag to the National League Central. I'm talking about Lyles later. Don't yeah, worry. Uh, Trevor has yet to find any sort of footing since he's been back. I mean, that's a guy I know that he had an injury and he was good before the injury, but that's the type of player the Pirates really need to depend on. We talked about before the year started how consistency was such an important thing for this club, how they needed players that they could depend on to be consistent. They didn't have to be the best player in baseball. They've been fortunate enough to stumble upon one of those this year in Josh Bell, and even though he's slumping a little bit, it hasn't, I don't think that's been their Achilles heel by a long shot. It's, it's been guys like Williams, it's been guys like Archer, who they just need to be above average at a consistent basis, but they can't do it. They can't do it, and, you know, if they can figure it out, it's not completely over yet. If they can figure it out within, like, the next 10 days, they have a shot to stay relevant, but I don't know what would lead one to believe that they could do that this year. I think next year they could, you know, maybe make some changes in the coaching staff or something and figure it out, but... As of now, I don't have any indication that this roller coaster ride is going to end. I do think they're going to go on another win streak, but then I think it's all going to fall apart again. I think we're in for pretty much an identical year to last year, except this time it's the offense that's really good and it's the pitching that's really bad. Contrary to 2018, where it was the pitching that was incredible and the offense was spotty. Yeah, and... That's kind of just how this Pirates team always looked at the beginning of the year, where they didn't make any additions. So, and last year, 500 team, and that's what they've been in 2019. If everything goes wrong, this would be a team that wins about 74, 75 games. And if enough goes right, their ceiling is probably about 88, 89 wins, which would be a wild card. That cannot be the goal going into 2020. Or else this entire era past the bridge year in 2016 is for naught. It would be completely squandered with, we're getting ready for our fourth straight mediocre-ish team within arm's length of 500. And that's kind of the place to be in. Because if you were at least awful, you're accruing all these high-talent guys out of the draft at least. And you would have sold your your controllable talent. I don't see how the Pirates can be good in 2020 and not, you know, 88 wins if everything goes right good and winning a wild card. Like, legitimately compete for a division in 2020 or beyond with this core players if they either, A, make that one or, those one or two signings that they clearly need where, like, Yasmani Grandal who is such a clear answer for this team, for how bad the pitch framing is and how we completely solve that, the same that, that Russell Martin did in 2015, in that change, 
Or you sell the court and you go young and you build it up right the second time around. The path they're on right now, even if they do turn it around and they do have an easier schedule after this uh, series, I think the Phillies is kind of the tipping point where it's like, okay, schedule gets a lot easier from now on. And be like, okay, well, we just squandered those games to pick up ground against the Cubs and the Cardinals in this series, in these series. But if you don't really address the glaring holes on this team, they will not get better. They can't get better. A lot of them are playing to their potential right now. Josh Bell is, I don't see how Kevin is going to be any better than the impact player that he's been this year. Brian Reynolds, Starling Marte is an impact player. There are so many people who are actually reaching what they need to do, and it's just not been enough. And it's a talent problem from top to bottom, generally, where if you compare them to a team like the Dodgers, they're not even in the same league. I mean, yeah, I agree with that, but... The, the Pirates will never the Pirates will never have a team as deep as the Dodgers. They won't. That's just not... In 2014 and 2015, they had a team that was just as deep. No, 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 no. Where was the weak team in 2013? Maybe 2014 was the... Was the off year in between? That rotation was pretty shoddy. I mean, uh, they, had good, they had a good team, Alex, but I mean, they weren't... I mean, the Dodgers... You can't compare that Pirate, those Pirates teams to this Dodgers team that... They won two pennants. The pi- those Pirates teams never won a damn thing. They won one wild card. I know it's a crapshoot. I know it's a one-game playoff. But if those Dodgers teams were in a one-game playoff, they would have won. You want to know why? Because they have Clayton Kershaw. They have Walker Bueller. They have Hung Jung Ru, or however you say his name. They have a good bullpen. They have the best player in the National League. You know, I mean, they have... They, they were... They're lights... You know, head and shoulders, light years better than the Pirates have ever been. Not since, like, 1992, maybe. And even those teams. I mean, I think this Dodgers team right now is one of the deepest teams in our lifetime. I mean, they're loaded. Yeah, and the Astros and the Yankees, to a lesser extent. Yankees, actually, maybe to more of an extent. Oh, Yankees are team that's been hit with the injury bug more than the Pirates. It's been the Yankees. That's an indicator. But no, there was a three-year window where at least two of those three years, I think the Pirates were just as talented, if not more, than any other team in the league. That's fair. And, and even if everything was going right, then the now, with the rotation in the bullpen and the injuries, I do not see them being in the top five right now. Well, I will say this. If the, if the pitching from last year showed up this year with this offense... This team would be in first place. They'd be winning the division. Yeah, that's not saying much. This isn't a good division. No, but that's the thing. Like, that's what's frustrating. I mean, if you would have told me, if you would have said that the Cubs, the Brewers, the Reds, the Cardinals, out of all four of them, the best one out of all of them at the All Star break would only be four games over five hundred, and you would have said the offensive numbers that guys like Colin Moran, Josh Bell, Starling Marte, some of the rookies have posted, like Newman and Reynolds, you would have bet a lot of money probably that the Pirates would be in first place because the pitching was supposed to be the strength, and it's not. And so I kind of disagree when you said you know you're not you're not getting the top performance from anybody on the pitching staff. Anybody, aside from Felipe Vasquez. 
Yeah. And and Dario Agrizol, I don't know. We're recording this before, you know, Tuesday night's game. I wouldn't be shocked if he went out there and actually got the win. I I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked. If I had to bet on it, I'd bet that they lose. This just seems like a team that's about to lose again, like another three, four games in a row on top of the four that they've already lost in a row. They just seem like a team that can't get anything going right for itself until they get back home, and it is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, not one pitcher has pitched to the maximum of their potential aside from the one pitcher that has been an all-star this year for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that's just the tough reality of it. Why do we get far more contentious whenever we do uh, these podcasts away from each other? Because you're scared of me. You don't. You don't want this smoke up in person. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So this team has to sell, right? No. no. No, they don't have to sell. Like I said, I gave the other option of you can buy. And do what? Fight for the wild card. Try to jump half the league? Okay, okay, if it's not buy, I don't say necessarily have to buy at the deadline. You don't have to do anything at the deadline. No, they have to. No, I disagree. No, they don't. No, no they, they would be so, that, that would be such a dumb move to stand pat. With all the guys, I mean, they've got, you either got to do one or the other. If you think this team can make a wild card or, you know, go on a run and win the division, then you need to invest. You need to go get a starting pitcher. You need to build bullpen depth. I understand that you might get some of that with Kella coming back. I understand that you might get some of that if you move Jordan Lyles to the bullpen, which I think is coming soon. Um, That's great. But you need to go get more pitching if you think this team can win. Vice versa. If this team, if you don't believe that they can win the division or, you know, jump half the league and get a wild card spot, then you need to get something for all of these guys that are about to leave. Jung Ho Gung's hitting the ball relatively well. I think someone would take a flyer on him. You wouldn't get anything great, but you would still get something. I mean, this is a team that was able to get O'Neill Cruz for Tony Watson when Tony Watson was in the midst of his worst season of his career. I think they could get, you know, literally like a 40-level prospect, a 40-grade prospect's better than nothing. Dickerson, Melky, Liriano, Jordan Lyles, Jung Ho. Hell, I would even... You know, dangle Adam Frazier in front of people and say, you, you know, he was the player of the week a couple weeks ago, maybe. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can't just stand pat because you're going to be losing guys that you're not getting back, and you you got to get something for them. you got to make some sort of addition. It'd be, it'd be dumb not to. you got to commit one way or another because standing pat is essentially the same thing they've done every offseason. It's just planning to be mediocre. They're a mediocre team right now. And like we've said, you either need to try to get better or you need to try to make your future better. That's what they need to decide by July 31st. And I'm going to be happy if they choose to do either one. I really won't care. I just don't want them to be in the middle. I think they're going to end up doing that, though, because Huntington's been crushed his last three trade deadlines. And he's even said as much. This team, in an entire offseason... Looking at Mike Moustakis and Jose Iglesias on the free agent market and how nobody wanted them and said, nah, we're not going to do it. Why would they have to buy now whenever they clearly ignored it 
four months ago. I, the trade deadline is sexy because it's the last chance to add, and it, it gets overblown. You overpay for players. Maybe that would support the summer. And if this team really does fall apart and it's clear that they're done, then, yeah, you do cash out a Corey Dicker, a Melky Cabrera, Jordan Lyles, whatever, the, at least the guys who are rentals. In the grand scheme of things, though, the 40 and 45-grade prospects that they would get back are not going to make or break this franchise. No. I get you get something for nothing, but it gets something rather than nothing, but I don't see how getting another Dario Agrizol-type pitcher into stash and AAA, it's like, all right, that's going to really make a difference. I, I mean, I do. I do, because next year when... Uh... The whole pitching staff gets hurt hurt again. I'd rather have Dario Agres another Dario Agrizol waiting, than try to bullpen with Michael Feliz. But Agrizol is already on the forty man roster, and Chad Cole will be back. And assuming that the rotation is going to be Tyon Musgrove, Williams, Archer, Keller, then you have Stephen Brault, who's going to be a sixth guy. There's more starting pitching depth right now. It's not depth that's the problem; it's the ceiling. Yeah, but I mean, maybe, I mean, it's just kind of maybe looking at it like that is true, but I think I kind of look at it as I'm just turning in my cards for a new set. You can only reshuffle the deck for so long. Sometimes you just need to trade in your cards. And I think that... And I agree with that. And that's why I gave the rebuild option. There's option of buying and actually addressing the clear needs, and then there was tearing it down and starting over. And you can't do nothing through 2020. But in this very, in this particular instance, in July of 2019, you don't have to do anything. And the word "have" should you probably have to? No. This was never about 2019, and that was evidenced by them completely ignoring Mustakis and Iglesias and being like, you know what, Jung Ho Gung. And Eric Gonzalez. All right, so uh, now we're going to transition into another part of the show. Uh, it's going to get real contentious, I have a feeling. You guys will enjoy it. We don't have an interview, but we're going to... This next part of the show is going to be all about one guy. Stay tuned. Alex uh, made a little bit of a change. No more Skype. We're just doing it the old school way via cell phone. Uh, that, did I say that right? Cell phone? I'm really tired. It's, it's uh, cell phone, telephone. Cell phone, telephone, whatever. So we're going to... We're, we're still figuring out how we're going to be doing this going forward. But for the time being, this will be a good band-aid. Yeah, I mean, we're not the North Shore Nine guys who have been, you know, podcasting long distance for... Ever, you know, we're we're just getting we're figuring this out, okay? Yeah. So the important thing is we haven't asked North Shore Nine to I'm like, hey, how do you do that? Yeah, we we haven't. Oh, no, we're gonna we're gonna stumble through this baby giraffe style. Nobody's gonna be giving us any help whatsoever. Not at all. All right. So a guy that everyone's been talking about recently in uh, my my former town of employment. Is good old Starling Marte. Now I haven't, I I have not watched. I watched the Pirates on Friday and Saturday, 
Sunday, I was moving, and Monday, I just didn't watch them. Uh, you know, I just didn't watch them. No excuses. Uh, but apparently he didn't hustle down the first baseline. Alex, you have some thoughts on this. I mean, we've had this discussion. Everyone's had this discussion about Marte. You wrote an article on him. I'll just let you start this off. Yeah, and it just came out on the Port of Pittsburgh on Tuesday. Uh, if you haven't read it, uh, please, please, my self-confidence really can use the boost. Um, <laughs> But, yes, Monday night, Starling Marte in the, well, actually in the first inning, grounded into a double play to start off the game. It was a pretty tailor-made ball. He wasn't exactly busted down the line, but even if he was, he would have been out by a mile. It was just that kind of hit. And actually, it probably shouldn't have even been a double play situation because Brian Reynolds made a bad base running play, and instead of going for two, he hung up at first base. There's a lesson to be said about trying to take the extra base whenever there's one out in the inning. Mm-hmm. Second time up, hits a 370-foot shot, makes a catch. Outfielder makes a running catch. Brian Reynolds, another bad base running play. He's out at second base because he didn't tag up. He was running home on it. He just assumed that it was going to fall in for a hit. Sixth inning, Marte hits a 101.5-mile-per-hour exit velocity shot to shortstop, which was bobbled, still turned out to be a double play, and looking at the replay, it didn't look like he was at top speed, and he was out by a step and a half. I don't know if he was at top speed, if he would have been safe. He might have. Like, call bang bang. I think that's fair. But even if he was safe, well, he would have been on first base with two outs, down five, nothing. I guess you could say, well, Josh Bell can hit a homer and all of a sudden it's a ball game again, but that game looked pretty out of reach at this point. Ninth inning, final at bat. Ground ball to third base, chopper. This time he is booking it down to first base. Maybe he just wants the hit after a night of frustration. Maybe he was just playing for pride not to get shut out. He's out, bang, bang, play. Nobody's talking about in the ninth. They're sticking to the double play, especially in the sixth inning. Because he wasn't, he, he wasn't going at top speed. There's no defense of that. But that's the thing. It was a rainy night. It was off the bat, a double play 99 times out of 100, if not nine, like 999 out of 1,000. You can't go hard every single play, and even with the added hindsight, you know, benefit of hindsight, it wouldn't have made much of a difference. And it always goes back to the same narrative with Marte, which is the whole part, point of the piece is he hustles. Maybe not every single play, but no one in baseball history has ever hustled every single play. Jackie Robinson did it. Ty Cobb did it. I, I mean, Alex, you haven't seen them. You haven't seen them play, so I don't know if you could say that. No, I guess that's true. That, I mean, know, you're you're. Yeah, I mean, you are seventy-two, but I I don't know. Well, let's see. Let's do some head math. Yeah. Seventy-two would mean nineteen forty-seven. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so infant infant Alex saw Jackie Robinson steal home plate against the New York Yankees or with Don Larson or whoever. I don't know. Well, that was fifty-five, but yes. Yeah. But that's it. Always comes back to those arguments. 
And I the whole art, the whole article I wrote was like, okay, here we go. No one has no one in the NFL has more infield hits since his first since 2013, his first full year in the majors than Starling Marte. Infield hit percentage. How often do your ground balls turn into an infield hit? He has the fifth best percentage of all time. One spot behind Ichiro Suzuki, who knew a little something about getting infield hits. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. How many of the four guys ahead of him are left-handed hitters as well? Ichiro was the only one, actually. Oh, really? That's surprising. Yeah, it was Chris Bryant and Mike Trout, because Mike Trout, by law, has to be at the top of every single leaderboard Jeez, oh that you put into the fan graph. Yeah. Like, dude, the dude's built like a linebacker. It's like, yep, that's one of the best players in baseball history for getting infield hits. He's also chewed the most sunflower seeds, uh, you know, like, always. Did you the sunflower seeds whenever you interview them? Uh, no, no, no. Ah, that's a shame. No, but uh, he also, like, when he goes to buy, like, a pack of Starbursts, he gets, like, unintentionally just gets the pack that has, like, all of his favorite color in it. Like, he just does everything right. So, yeah. Anyway, Great continue. at getting infield hits. Uh, base running runs. Uh, baseball reference. I looked at it. He's ninth all-time in Pirates history in getting runs on the base paths and beating out double plays. And the guys who are ahead of him are like Honest Wagner, Omar Moreno, uh, Max Carey, Clemente, Van Slyke. He's basically gone at the same pace as Van Slyke. I'm sure Van Slyke didn't get all this crap about not hustling. No, he was actually loved because of his hustle. Exactly. And... It's like, oh, well, he's just fast. It's like, okay, well, then I compared him to other players who are as fast as him or roughly as fast as him. And he's better taking extra bases on singles, you know, going first to third or second to home on a base hit. He's done everything, basically. Like, if this guy, if this guy truly is lazy, he still exerts enough effort to be near the top of Every single leaderboard. And that's... That would indicate that he hustles. That's... That, I think, more than anything else, you just summed it up right there, is the most frustrating thing about Starling Marte. He is so talented that he can noticeably underachieve, but still have statistics that will back him up showing that he is good in virtually every statistical category aside from plate discipline. That is the most frustrating thing about Starling Marte, where, like you said, you just listed off six minutes worth of evidence showing that he hustles, that he does this, that he does that. But I, uh, my notes on Marte are this. He is the biggest anomaly of a baseball player that I have ever seen. Would you agree or disagree with that? I disagree, and I've, I've seen this. I saw this argument on Twitter also. It was like, you know, is there a more bigger anomaly in, you know, Pittsburgh sports history? And it's like, didn't the Steeler just not show up to work last year? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying, like, anomaly, like, like, it's I, just I, like, here's, here's. I know here's... not like that. I know not like, I know that's not what you were saying, but just in general, <laughs> very selective memory. He is a victim of that selective memory. Well, it's just because and... when it's kind of like, I don't know. Like, Ben Roethlisberger, he gets away with a lot, I mean, a lot, a lot, uh, because he has two championships, right? But when Ben messes up, a lot of the times, it is ugly. It is ugly. His mistakes are messy. They are disgusting. His interceptions are sometimes inexcusable. 
Marte is the same way. There are no, like, graceful mistakes with Starling Marte. They are just brutal, what-the-hell-are-you-thinking errors. And I think when you do that, you have to be able to hold up the other end of the bargain. And while he is a good player, when he came up, and I don't know if this is fair or not, he had the expectations to be a great player. And Starling Marte is... Or just in general, people put the tag on him saying he was going to be better than McCutcheon and, you know, he, he was going to be part of this dream outfield and he showed the ability to do so. He, I mean, you look at what Andrew McCutcheon did for the Pirates and then you look at Starling Marte as the athlete. He is faster than McCutcheon. He probably has more raw power than McCutcheon when he actually gets a hold of a ball. He has a better arm than McCutcheon. He, I mean, everything. He has the ability. I think he probably might have a higher career batting average than Andrew McCutcheon. I don't know about that. I'll have to check. Uh, like, he, he has those tools. And he has not been able to put together, I mean, what? Has he been an all-star one time, I think? And, one time, but then he also had, like, three other seasons where he was a five-war player. Yes. Uh, an all-star far more times. Yeah, and that's that's fair. That's fair. But I think... I think, and again, I don't know if this is fair or not fair that this was put upon him, but I think when people started to realize that McCutcheon wasn't going to be around forever, I think it was kind of unfairly assumed that Marte would be the Aaron Rodgers to McCutcheon's Brett Favre, that he would just be ready and waiting to take over and be the face of the franchise and be an MVP caliber player, and be the guy who would be the leader in the clubhouse, and this and that, and he hasn't been any of that. And I don't know if Starling Marte was ever meant to do any of that. I think Starling Marte is a guy that 30 years ago, before Twitter and everything exists, and before we measured you know, things like how fast the player's running on the bases, and we had a whole bunch of stats to quantify it, I think Starling Marte would just fit in on a very good baseball team. But... Now everyone's watching every single second, and we can nitpick, and I think that's where he gets crushed. I think the expectations for this guy might have been a little too high, but then again, when you see his ability, you kind of want the expectations to be high. They should be high, because he's an incredible baseball player. So, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this guy. I just think that, yeah, he's an anomaly, because he's good enough to to be bad and still have no logical proof that he is underperforming. Um, and also, here's another theory for you, Alex. Give the, This will be an early sinker float. Is Starling Marte the player whipping boy that fans take out their frustrations over the last decade on? I mean, basically, and I'll start with the sinker float. I mean, that, over the last decade, you said? Yeah, since he's been here. Like, no, if you think about it. No. He's the he's the longest tenured player on the team, is he not? At, at the moment, yes. Yeah, so he's been here pre uh, pre playoff teams. He's the only guy who was a starter on all three of the playoff teams still here, and he's been here post playoff teams. He's obviously he's had success and he's had his lowest moments of his career uh, here. He's been around for all of it, and I think it's fair to say that because he's been the one. State the one sturdy part of it throughout the whole thing, I think that he kind of at times takes on a little bit of a whipping boy role for fans' frustrations. Well, that's the that's the same thing that happened. 
odds to the perceived best player in general. I'm like Ben. If the Steelers lose, uh, let's just say twenty-three twenty. It's a pretty standard score. Uh, ben threw for four hundred yards, but he threw like one interception in the red zone. Bad play. He is going to be the talk the next day. Like Ben had a good game, but man, that throw—he has to really, you know, get better there. Matt Murray gives up a. Matt Murray's a much better example because Ben, normally in those games, Ben is the reason. Until he goes on the fan and tells everybody why Antonio Brown was the reason or somebody else, and then they leave. So. Jeez, could you imagine if Sterling Marte just let out his dirty laundry the same way Ben Roethlisberger does in this city? Um, what the absolute crap show would be. Uh, I, I don't know. I... I and that's another thing, is just someone who's been in the clubhouse, and I don't, I, I mean, this is kind of like a broad statement, and, you know, I've never, I guess, asked him this, but, like, do you just kind of get the vibe that Marte just doesn't really care that much? Like, not care, like, like that he's over. Like, I think he plays with passion, but, like, I think that Marte, when he leaves the ballpark, I think that, like, he leaves baseball at home. Like, I don't think he's, like, up at night when he's in, a, like, an 0 for 12 slump thinking, like, what can I do? Like, this is bothering me. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right. Like, some people have that healthy relationship with work where they're able to, like, leave it at work, and that's good. Uh, but I just, I don't think that any of this phases him is what I guess I'm getting at. I'm not saying that he doesn't care about the game of baseball. He clearly does. Uh, but I think, like... I don't think that he cares if people get pissed if he's jogging to first base. I don't think he cares if he's in a slump. I think he just is a pretty chill dude and is just like, you know what? I'm good enough. All of this is going to figure itself out one way or another. I know I'm not going to be the worst player on this team. We're going to be all right in the Starling Marte camp. No, I, I, I'm going to very much disagree with that. I kind of view him the same way. Speaking as, I guess, a kind of extroverted introvert, if that exists kind of in that bizarre gray area, I, that's kind of where I see Marte right now, where it's like, I, I show up to work, I do my job, I do my job damn well, but I don't, you know, I don't have to, I think a big part of it is he doesn't do media a lot. Yeah. He doesn't do a whole lot of interviews. He's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because I can't listen to, you know, fan post-game stuff because I'm, in, you know, writing recaps or something. But, like, has he ever done a post-game interview? I think he's done... So I know when he was younger, they would do him through the interpreter. Um, yes. But I know just, you know, as a producer, ideally you want someone to speak English, like, on the post. Cause, just because it's radio. It's not like a... It's not like a... It's not like a prejudice thing or anything. It's just... The interview can only go so long, and when you're including a third person that's a middleman translating, you don't really get to get, you don't really get to dive into too much in that conversation. So, he's, I think he just did his first interview without the help of a translator, like, this year. So, I can't imagine he did too much. I know that if you go up to him and ask to talk to him, he's always willing to talk. It's just, you can't really just, you he it, with players like him where he doesn't have a solid grasp on the english language he knows like a cert, he knows it to a certain extent but you can't really dive deep into things and it just doesn't make for good radio and i'm and as a writer it doesn't make for good quotes when he's just giving you you know basic sentences and that's not his fault i know i if i was playing baseball in latin america i wouldn't learn it and that's what as you were talking it made me wonder how would starling marte per- be perceived if Pittsburgh's 
first language was Spanish. And he was able to speak in the media. And he was able to have a better connection with the fans. I don't know. How would we, how would we perceive this, this, this player, this man? Or to take it in a far more literal sense, uh, this last offseason, the Dodgers were interested in Marte. What if he went to L.A. or California, where there is such a large Spanish-speaking community? Yeah, or like even, yeah, just anywhere like that. In California, Miami. A good portion of the population speaks Spanish. It's their native language. Because, I mean, you see that in the clubhouse, and it's not just, I mean, another guy, like Melky Cabrera, we've talked about him on this podcast, how he's, like, one of the glue guys in that clubhouse, yet he doesn't speak English to the media. He uses a translator. And that, I mean, to me, that's kind of wild. I mean, he's been around for a while. You'd think he would have, you'd think he would have picked up. I think that he probably can well, speak English. Well, there's also, uh... I could say, like, whenever Ichiro made his couple trips with the Marlins to Pittsburgh, I always, you know, ran over the Miami's clubhouse because it's like, oh, my God, Ichiro's here. Mm-hmm. Now i got to be there for the presser. And, and he would use our interpreter, and, you know, Ichiro was talking smack in Spanish to players on the base paths yeah. throughout his career. Like, he was, he was fluent, or very close to fluent, if not, but, you know, why, leave any, why have anything get lost in translation? Yeah, and that's, that's fair, but my, my point bringing up Melky is, like, you know, the Latin players seem to like Marte. He seems to be one of the guys. And yeah. it's a shame that, you know, and it, again, it's not to the fault of the media either. I mean, not a lot of Yenzers are born, you know, in a bilingual household. And, you know, maybe we'll reach a point in society where all baseball journalists will know how to speak Spanish or vice versa. All the Latin players will be able to pick up English faster. I don't know. Whatever one. I would, I would guess the former would probably more, be more likely than the latter just because of the way our society is moving with the importance of Spanish becoming so prevalent. But my point is that we really don't know the guy Starling Marte, so I think the player, both his highs and lows, are the only things we really have to reference for him. And, and, And just the way the human mind works, drastic negatives stick out a lot better than drastic positives. Unless the drastic positives are taking place in October, if Starling Marte were to have hit a home run to win the team a wild card game or to bring a team to the World Series, if Starling Marte were to have been like a Dave Roberts and steal second base and start like a huge comeback in the in the postseason or something, it didn't ma- it wouldn't matter how many times a guy jogged to first base. I mean, Yenzers every now and then would get pissed about it, but overall he would have that trump card like Ben Roethlisberger does, like so many Steelers do, like so many Penguins do. And I mean, anytime Connor Sheary sucked for the Penguins, everyone would revert back to his game winner in game two of the 2016 Stanley Cup. The Pirates just don't have those type of memories with fans. And so when you mess up at a big-time level and the fans don't have a connection to you, you're going to get roasted. And that's just how it is. It sucks. He's a good player. He has underperformed to certain extents. Um, he's an anomaly. He is, the, the, as I labeled this in my notes, the curious case of Starling Marte. And I think the big thing, if you do believe that he under, has underachieved, that if you saw the raw tools and thought, well, they should have translated to be more, I don't think he was ever going to be better than Kutch. I think everyone who thought he was going to be better than Kutch was a fool. Fool. He was never graded as highly as Kutch as a prospect. And he was an all-star level player for four years, and even though he only got one nod, he should have had more. Yeah. What... 
But then you look at those years. How many of that? How many of those years were natural? Well, that's that's a whole nother argument. But that's. I think that builds towards the hatred of them as well. I don't think people okay, forget right, about that. That's fair. That's fair. But that doesn't go into. I'm focusing on hustle. I Sterling Marte with. You didn't hustle enough to get that clean pee. With <laughs> Sterling Marte, could not have spent more time in the weight room, hustle wise. Dude's chiseled. Well. Again, we you really you really picked a poor time in this conversation to bring that up after what we just I talked about. No, I okay. know, but even in presumably clean living, the dude is still built. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger is still built. I mean, like that doesn't go away. Okay, okay. That's Make your next point. More time in the more time in the batting cages. There we go. That wouldn't have more hustle there. I. I the dude does a lot of BP. He does a lot of work off the field, a lot of drills, base running. The hustle thing in the grand scheme of things, let's just say he would have beat out like one extra infield hit a month and made like one double play into a fielder's choice if he was running hard all the time. What are we talking about here? Maybe two, three at most runs per season? Has this, is this, Grief. Is this grief really worth two or three runs for a consistent four or five win player? My re- my rebuttal to that would be you just said earlier in the podcast that the margin of error for this team is so small that you cannot make any mistakes. One or two runs might be the difference of a game, which might be the difference of snapping a losing streak, which might be the difference of keeping this team alive. And that's just that's just you know I'm just. Playing off of what you said earlier, I do agree in the grand scheme of things. Earlier, but you know what? If the season comes down to one or two runs, I'm not going to be looking at Sterling Marte first. I'm no. going to be looking at I'm going to be Jeff Hartley. At Michael yeah. As an opener, I'm going to be looking for other things. I, I have a long list of problems before I get to Sterling Marte's hustle. It's why this team is yes. Under-achieved. All right. This might. All right. My final thought. This might just be in my head because I was just in Cleveland, but. Marte always gave me that vibe. I was always waiting for this moment where, like in the movie Major League, where the one guy never hustled, and he eventually like was willing to like take one for the team and get hit by the pitch or like take grounders. Yeah, you know, and um, Dorn. yeah, Dorn and Marte's criticism. It was never been hit, getting hit by a pitch, but like I was just waiting for that moment where like it's a do or die situation, season on the line, and Marte just beats out this crazy play, like beats out a double play in the next at bat, like Bell hits the game winning homer, and everyone remembers how like he proved the haters wrong and hustled. And I just don't think we're ever gonna get that moment, Alex. I just I just don't think we're gonna get it. I mean, maybe that face? yeah, like that that. That, Honestly, he, how close did he come to that moment in 2015? Whenever he hit that bases loaded one out, and he, he absolutely tattoos the ball. You know, one of the best exit velocities of his career, I imagine, if we could archive it. And it just wasn't like six inches further to the right. It's a two. It's a two-run single, and all of a sudden, Jake Arrieta's on the ropes, and the Pirates are gonna win the 2015 Wild. What what inning was that in? That was like the fifth or sixth. Oh, I I damaged my brain from alcohol far earlier than that. I have no recollection of okay. that. But anyway. Well, they, they were, <laughs> as bad as that 
that final score was. The Pirates were about six inches away from a Sterling. Six yeah, I remember. They left the bases loaded. Game and maybe chasing Arietta, winning that game. And if the Pirates get to the full playoffs, that 2015 team was going to win a World Series. They were built to win a World Series, yeah. not one game. And you know what? Then maybe, maybe the narrative would have been changed for Marte. But maybe, but maybe, maybe, maybe. In the four years since then, they haven't even come close to even giving him that platform to of redemption. Maybe your next article should be how the, how the Pittsburgh. Maybe the next article you write should be how the Pittsburgh Pirates failed Starling Marte. You know what? Don't tempt me. All right, let's move on and wrap this show up. Let's get into segments. Alex, it's time for segments. Our favorite part of the show is brought to you, of course, by Slice on Broadway, with locations in Carnegie, Beachview, the East End, and, without a doubt, our favorite location in PNC Park. Slice on Broadway has it all, from their perfect pizza, spectacular salads, or super delicious subs. Everything they make is handmade and the best your money can buy. Want to know why? Because they wouldn't be able to sleep if it wasn't. Be sure to check them out and tell them the guys from the River Blast podcast sent you. I'm going to miss hanging out with the people on Slice on Broadway. They were always a destination I made sure to stop by um, when I was producing the pregame show outside. Um, but, I, I mean, I'll probably be at a game this weekend, actually, so I'll probably go see them. They probably won't even know I'm gone. <laughs> uh, all right, Alex, buy, sell, trade. You can go first. All right. Uh, I'm buying an old sinker float that we had. It was the episode where uh, Sasank came on. Okay. And I, uh, I said, sinker float, the Pirates will get back to 500. And then, at some point this season. And I said, that floated. You said it sank. Mm-hmm. And I said, they were going to get back to 500, and then they were going to collapse again. And I'm not even c- counting it complete yet, because there were one game under 500. I think there's one more surge in this team, and they ultimately fall short. Overall. Okay. So, I'm buying that old take. I'm doubling down on it. Really make fun of me if I get wrong. Okay. Um, I'm selling Jordan Lyle's new mechanics. This is something else I recently wrote for the Point of Pittsburgh. Uh, Jordan Lyle's, these last couple starts since coming off DIL, whenever he's facing a lefty, he's standing on the first base side of the rubber. Whenever he's standing, whenever he's facing a righty, he's standing on the third base side of the rubber. This is new. This is bad. It is not working out as if these last couple dumpster fire starts did confort evidence enough. This is a bad mechanics change. I can see why you would want to stand on the third base side, especially against righties, because you, you can hit the inner part of the zone better and you're breaking stuff, especially the stuff with run, can stay in the zone longer so it either can fall in for a strike or you could get more width more batters, but I do not see the advantage of standing on the first base side against lefties. You're going to have a harder time hitting the inner part of the zone, and your stuff on the other, on the middle and outer parts is going to be running into the batter more. It, it doesn't work well, even if you're not going to be throwing breaking balls to lefties, you're just going to roll a fastball changeup. It's not a good strategy. It is done. So for anyone with little leaguers and they don't know which side of the rubber they should be pitching from, if you're a righty, third base side generally. If you're a lefty, left side. Or you could just go down the middle. It doesn't have to be that difficult. But pick a side. He needs to repeat his mechanics better. 
And if he doesn't, right now, the way I see Jordan Lyles, there are three scenarios for why he's not pitching well. He is either A, still hurt, and he shouldn't be pitching. He is B, ignoring advice to stop doing this, in which case he shouldn't be pitching. And C, nobody sees this glaring problem that the blogger from Pittsburgh can, and if that's the case, maybe I need a job in, in the analytics department because this is pretty obvious if you're looking for it. And my trade, I'm trading Eric Gonzalez. Like yeah. He just finished up his rehab, or and he has a hammy problem, I believe, at the moment, so don't really know what his future with the team at the moment is. But honestly, do we really need Eric Gonzalez at the moment? There's plenty of infield depth. He has definitely been uh, overtaken by Kevin Newman on the death chart, and probably Cole Tucker, even though he's in AAA at the moment. I don't see where Eric Gonzalez really has a spot on this team where he could contribute anything, even as a utility player, because the bench is strong enough as is. And if it comes down to like a Jose Osuna or Eric Gonzalez, yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. I agree. I mean, that was impressive with your uh, Jordan Lyles information. I definitely couldn't have picked that out. That's why I'm in news now, Alex. I'm uh, just not a sports guy. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, the Eric Gonzalez thing, I don't know who would take him. I think he would have to be a part of a package. I think if you're, you know, shipping off Dickerson, I think you could just throw in Eric Gonzalez and maybe that would sweeten the pot. Like, oh, you get a young infielder who we just don't have room for right now. So, but yeah. Honestly, you might not even have to literally trade him. You'd probably sneak him through waivers. And if you don't, I don't think you really miss much besides, you know, losing Luplo already. Yeah. Where would if if Jordan Luplo was on this team, we would have never seen Brian Reynolds this year. That is true. That is true. So there we and go. I, and I really like Luplo, but he ain't no Brian Reynolds. He that he is not, my friend. All right, my buy. I'm buying stock in Dario Agrizol. I'm just you know what? I'm predicting a win. It goes against everything I'm believing right now. Uh, but I I've liked what I've seen from Dario. To be honest, he's been a lot. He's been one of the, he's been the best rookie pitcher the Pirates have had this year. Think about it. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a reliever and I can't. I mean, Hartley is a rookie. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I know there were relievers who were rookies, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. So there we and go. I don't think Dario's been fantastic. Oh, he's but... been okay. He's been that serviceable guy from Triple A. He's been Brandon Compton. I don't want to take anything away from him. That's a really good way to start your career. Yeah, he's been been Brandon Compton. And I said we needed one of those. So, yeah, I'll take him. I'm buying stock at him. I'm selling Ray Searage. There's just too much nonsense going on with the pitching staff. And, I mean, it might not all be his fault. But, like, with the archer not listening and, and Musgrove's inconsistency and the injuries and all this, eventually... You know, when all this is going on, on under your roof, like you need to be the you need to be the one who answers for it, even if it isn't your fault. Like, just all of this stuff, just it it just seems like the most dysfunctional pitching staff I've seen from the Pirates in years. I mean, it's it's like they're not on the same page. I think say what you want about the Pirates, but I think through Hurdle's entire tenure, they've always been on the same page as a staff. They've always you know, had the game plan and stuck to it. There was one guy who tried to go rogue, and they they 
they sent away prospects in a package to get rid of them. So I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of rocking in that boat, and I don't know. Maybe the maybe the club just doesn't believe in him anymore. I don't know. So I'm selling him. And I'm, I'm trading anyone you can. I'm just looking at this team. I go back to the crap your pants analogy. A team that can consistently, at just any random time, lose eight games in a row, just where it just can all fall out and it'll happen like that, it's not worth investing in. It's just not worth it. Start building toward 2020. If that means you're stockloading a whole bunch of prospects that probably won't even be on the team next year, so be it if it means you get to clear up a little bit more room early and just start making a plan for the offseason, which is your only hope to get better and make a run at this before you start having other guys reach higher levels of arbitration and we start saying goodbye to them and look at this whole period post-McCutcheon era as a waste of time. So, if you're fine, I guess we should go to the sink or float. Yep, let's do it. And it is... Felipe Vasquez will not be a pirate on August first. No, he will be. I, that that sinks. I think next year, next year at this time, if if they are in the same spot as they are next year, where if they're on the border of being a buyer or seller, and if they're under five hundred, I think Vasquez goes, and I think more people go with him. I think you finally see them blow it up because it'll be like five straight years of this nonsense. Neil will be getting toward the end of his contract. Clint will be getting toward the end of his contract. And I think they're just going to say, screw it. And that, that I think next year is the year that Felipe gets dealt. You know, I, I, I can't add anything to that. Took the words out of my mouth. And good job with the buy-sell trade. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right, sink or float? I, I, I interrupted you throughout the buy, so. What? I figured. I interrupted you throughout the buy, so it's like, yeah, do I have to comment on it? Nah. Nah, you're good. All right, so sinker float from me. Sinker float from me. Mitch Keller should be in the starting rotation throughout the remainder of the year if this team does, in fact, start to sell. Oh, if they sell, yeah. I mean, because one of the most appealing players, well, he was appealing at one point, would be uh, Jordan Lyles. Someone would take him. I mean, I, I'm I, saying if even if they don't move anyone from the pitching staff. Oh yeah, well yeah, even more than so. Like you, yes, if the Pirates are out of it in August, or if they've thrown in the towel, then there is no reason for Jordan Miles to be starting over Mitch Keller. True. Uh, baptism by fire. Yep. Even if he sucks up here, you're gonna work it out one way or another, kid. Get ready. Uh-huh. You're 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 coming back to Pittsburgh. All right, Alex. Bold prediction to wrap up the show. Uh, we have a happier podcast next week. Pirates have a winning record from Whoa. here until then. Well, oh, I was gonna say overall, like they'd have to be like perfect. No, no, I'm talking like four and three, five and two over these, or I guess it's six games, so four and two. All right, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Corey Dickerson will not be a Pittsburgh Pirate by the next time we record a podcast. Now that is what. I like to call a hot take. That is a very hot take. That's why they're. I mean, look at him, man. They're they're the guy played, I guess, horrible on Monday, but they're they're putting him in the. There's a reason why he is in the lineup as much as possible right now. You know, you have to wonder what type of player Corey Dickerson could have been if he hustled all the time. I mean, a hustle got him a Gold Glove last year. 
Not like Marte has any of those. It's not like Marte has any gold gloves, Alex. Any final thoughts? That's my final thought. All right. Be sure to follow us on social media at Alex J. Stumpf, at Noah underscore or underscore Hiles 95. Um... First remote show, we're going to get better at this. We're going to make it a little bit more easy to listen to. We apologize for some of the technical difficulties here out in uh, God's country here in rural Ohio where uh, I was recording this from. We'll be better next time. Hopefully the Pirates will as well. For Alex Alex J. Stumpf, I am Noah Ohio signing off. As always, saying let's go Bucks.